change into voiceover champions to save the voiceover world. Hello, people. Thanks for listening. This is Voiceover Champions, and I'm your host, Joshua Seth. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different than the usual format, because rather than profiling an individual voiceover champion, I actually have a discussion about diversity in the voiceover industry between four of us here, Jameson Price, Bo Billingsley, Stephanie Shea, and myself. What kicked this off was voice actor Jameson Price refusing to reprise his role as Chad in the upcoming Bleach 1000-Year Blood War. Here's what Jameson wrote on Twitter. To all the many fans of Bleach, I have loved being a part of the Bleach universe and voicing Chad. It was a difficult decision to say no to coming back for Thousand-Year Blood War, but I no longer audition for roles of people of color. Representation matters. Access matters. Now, this sparked a huge debate on Twitter, with many voice actors supporting Jameson's decision to not accept the role, and others questioning why it's necessary, since the best actor should be cast to portray a role regardless of their ethnicity or what they look like. So I invited Jameson to come on the podcast and talk about this in more depth and at more length than would be possible on Twitter, about diversity in the voiceover industry, how it was when we started, what's changed, and how we can make it more equitable for everyone. Today on the show, I've got three, count them, three guests, Bo Billingsley, Stephanie Shea, and Jameson Price. Bo Billingsley is best known as the voice of Jet Black in Cowboy Bebop, Ogremon in Digimon, Homura, and A the Fourth Rakage in Naruto. Stephanie Shea is most well-known for her voiceover work as the English voice of Sailor Moon in Sailor Moon, Zuli in Legend of Korra, and Rebecca Chambers in Resident Evil. And finally, Jameson Price is the announcer for Mortal Kombat, the commander in Monster Hunter World, second Hokage in Naruto, Commander Samson in Digimon, the Colonel in Akira, and Chad in Bleach. He's stepping aside from the role of Chad in the new Bleach Thousand Year Blood War, and the debate that that decision has sparked across the internet is the inspiration for this discussion today of diversity in the voice acting world. So let's talk with Bo Billingsley, Stephanie Shea, and Jameson Price. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. You know, I was thinking when we were lining up this discussion that all of us have been in the voiceover industry, or let's say have started in the voiceover industry over 20 years ago. Is that correct? We, yeah. For me, it, you know, we're approaching like a quarter century, honestly. That's partly why I wanted this mix of people on because there's context. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's just go right, like right around the room. Like, how did you guys uh, get your start, and and what was the maybe the first uh, major role or character uh, that people would know the, that you were on? Bo, like, uh, start with you. Um, yeah, I, I started doing voice work. Actually, my very first job was in 1969. I did what? the voice of a coach in a puppet movie. Yeah, 1969. I got my side card. And um, oh and then gosh. and then there was a, a bit of a hiatus. 
from 1969 to late 90s. Uh, but I was doing, I was uh, dubbing live action foreign films. Like there would be a, a German film with an African uh, character. So mm -hmm. they would call me in to say, I did this for my father, you know. And, um, and Doug Got Stone it. was producing those. So one day he asked me, he said, you want to do anime? And I said, sure, what is it? And right. Because I wasn't aware of it, you know, Japanese animation. So, um, yeah, and he was the one that got me started. Um, Cowboy Bebop, I think, was one of my, my first large roles. I did uh, one show called Legend of Black Heaven, where I voiced um, uh, your average Japanese office worker who was saving the universe at night with his music. <laughs> as they do. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, as they do. And, uh, and you know, back in those days, I don't know any, any of us auditioned. It was just, you know, somebody asked you to do something. You know, we, yeah. we watched the, the Cowboy Bebop series in 98. Yeah, so, you know, I did it you know. on the same season as you. Uh, thank you to Behind the Voice Actors, by the way, because I, I looked up to see what, you know, what, what do we all do together? And Bo, do you know, we were both on Last Exile, Dynasty Warriors, Digimon, of course, Cyborg Soldier 9, of course, Ark of the Lad, Kenshin, and Cowboy Bebop. And for me, Cowboy wow, Bebop was we pretty early like... as well. We, we worked together a lot, but weren't always yeah. there at the same time. Yeah. Stephanie, how did you get your start? Where did you come into this business? Um, I just graduated UCLA, and I got hired by a tiny little company what was then called Digital Manga, and then they wanted to produce their own dubs. And um, I, you know, I was like, I was, I wanted to be an actor, but I had like Asian parents who were like, you need to get like a day job, you know, or a money job. And so then I was just like, oh, I'm just going to get a money job that is very close to um, what I want to do. Um, so... You know, I had very low self-esteem starting out as an actor, and I didn't know. It's a very hard business. There's a lot of rejection. Anyways, so long story short, I, I got a job producing dubs because as a very arrogant, you know, um, young person, I was just overconfident in the sense that, like, oh, I can do this better. Um, uh, yeah, but as an actor, I was, like, not being like, hey, maybe they can be good enough. Um, and so I got a job producing dubs and then I, you know, I auditioned for our own shows and that's kind of like how so I got my, you got in through the production end. You, you, you got her like yes. a real job in production and then right. were able but, to audition right. and get but roles. That smart. That's very like, smart, honestly. But that said, it's not like, you know, I was taking acting classes before I ever dis discovered anime. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like performing, whether as a teenager and through college and being in sketch comedy groups and Shakespeare, uh, you know, performance group and all sure, that Sure, I mean, stuff. We, I'm sure we could all yeah. go way back, except for Bo, who seems to have started at, at, at birth. But I mean, I did music. I did musical theater eight shows a right, week right. for 10 years, you know, right. as a kid. But this that's neither well, here nor there. I just mean because there's some production people who don't have acting background I see. became voice actors through production. And some of them are very talented, just have like very natural talent and got through that way. Um, it was the opposite. I took the production job to try to get an in so that eventually I could become an actor. It was you know, like strategic in that way, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. Right. I mean, very smart. Very yeah, smart. I, I think that it was really, obviously it worked as well. So good for you. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jameson, how about you? How'd you get your start? Oh, uh, I was actually doing a, a play uh, with Dorothy Fawn, who you had Tom and Dorothy on. I, I had them. I just had them on the podcast. Yeah. So Dorothy, uh, she, she would, you got a great voice, you know, who should be doing anime? What's Wait, that? you were doing theater in L.A.? Well, Long Beach. Okay. Um, L.A. Yes, uh, the greater L.A. area. Yeah. Um, but she introduced me. Uh, wow, I had no idea. It just took off from there. And um, I mean, I did little bits and pieces for a year or more, kind of learning the style and, and getting little bigger and bigger things thrown at me. And then finally, I think it was the Colonel in Akita was the first kind of major you, thing you, I did because I had know, no idea what the film was. And then I, it was like, oh, years later, I was like, oh my gosh. I was going to ask you, so were you in the first, the streamlined dub as opposed to the pioneer dub of Akira? When, what year do you think that you did Akira or Akira like, for people that really know? Um, well, I started, to, started dubbing in 95, so it was... Okay, it was the same one I did then. It was the it was the pioneer dub with Kevin Seymour. Was he the director? Oh yes, it was, a, it was Kevin Seymour. Actually. Yeah, you know there was another I, version I, of it. Taught me all the anime stuff because um, I mm -hmm. didn't know the style. It also, it was instrumental in, in bringing me along and you know teaching me different things. And yeah, yeah, whatever. that's so we were in the same one. That was the movie that made me want to be a voice actor in the first place. The original version that I saw when I was at, at in film school uh, at NYU. But the version that you and I did that Kevin Seymour directed, uh, I was Kaneda and Johnny Young Bosch was, no, I'm sorry, I was Tetsuo and Johnny Young Bosch was Kaneda. And you were, were you the commander in that, I believe? I was the colonel. The cur colonel, the colonel. You usually play a colonel or a commander or something along those lines. Yeah. It's authority figures for some strange reason. Yeah, you, <laughs> you sound like someone that uh, people must listen to, I guess. All right, I, that's yeah. What and and uh, according to behind the voice actors, you and I worked on, of course, Digimon, Dynasty Warriors, Ark the Lad, Last Exile, Twelve Kingdoms, Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Cowboy Bebop, and one of the first things I ever did, Mobile Suit Gundam. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Mobile Suit Gundam is a bit embarrassing for me because I I played a, a person of color in that and you know wasn't thinking about it at all. So. So Mobile Suit Gundam, Jameson, which we, we both worked on, that was, let's say, early 2000s. It's got to be early yeah. 2000s, right? Had iterations. Yeah. So, right. And, yeah, because I did it as well. Okay. Yeah. Sure, there, yeah. That's right. There have, so who knows when we did it, but let's say around 20 years ago. So I, I'll just use myself as a jumping off point for the crux of this discussion here about diversity and the need for representation in voice acting. It wasn't anywhere in my consciousness. I was not thinking at all about it. Now, you could say that was a point of privilege as a white man that I didn't need to think about it. But when I when I played this role as Arthur Young, which I don't have any memory of doing, I'm sure it was just one session for two hours, right? On that, uh, I, I see that on the listings of characters that I did, and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, I feel like, you know, perhaps I shouldn't have done that. But you don't know what you don't know, right? And, and so we can only move forward. And it wasn't something I was personally thinking about at the time. And, I, you know, Jameson, I'm wondering, since, since you have now 
drawn this line in the sand, basically, by saying that you will not audition for characters that represent uh, persons of color. Around when would you say that that came into your consciousness as an important uh, thing to do? Only in the last few years. Um, like you, I mean, I've played people of probably black characters, people of color. It's POC. I got a lot of flack for that term on Twitter. It's about, what about you? Um, what, why? Characters. Wait, wait, what, why did you get a uh, flack for that term, which I also just used? I don't know. Uh, I can, I can answer that. Uh, Great. I, I <laughs> That's can, why we're I, all I, here. I yeah. Point. It depends on who you talk to. There are some people who prefer to use different terms. Um, one term that is out there is PGM, which is people of global majority, because the philosophy or the line of thinking is that if you were to take all of the different people of color and you put them all together, like we often put a lot of Caucasian um, appearance people together, even though they're from different ethnic backgrounds and we lump them into Caucasian, um, you would actually have internationally and globally a majority. But when we continue to use the language of EOC or people of color, it uh, promotes the idea that that is a minority group. And, I see. And they, it marginalizes they or be, minimizes something that actually yes, isn't. Right. And and I'm I'm not hmm. I'm not here to weigh in on that. I'm just explaining that I believe that, and I might and I might be wrong, but that is my understanding. But that's of why that I, term. That's yeah. why I wanted to have a long form conversation because guaranteed there are people that are going to listen to this that like me have no idea what the implications are of one term versus another. You know, we're, like hopefully we're all trying to do our best, but there there are gaps in understanding. So yeah, that's and good to, to have that. Was it, it was, it's a vague generalization. It covers right. too many. It, we need to be more specific. And I totally admit that and agree. I use POC because it's Twitter and you only have <laughs> so many characters. Yes, so three letters. And you simplify and you get misunderstood. But getting back to Gundam, and when it really clicked for me, because some of the feedback I've gotten is that, yes, it's voice acting. Any voice fits should be able to work. And when we used to go in an audition in person, I was auditioning with lots of different people because uh, I have a big voice. And so, I mean, there's lots of, you know, large people on different colors that were all together. Um, so I didn't really think about it. And I mean, with representation matters in that movement and some of the things that we've seen with other actors stepping aside from roles that they ethnically don't match. Um, when Chad came up and even before Chad, there were other characters that um, I had done in the past that were coming back at different studios. And I went, you know, I'm not comfortable doing that anymore. So let's have somebody else do that. And that's what happened with Chad. It came up and I initially agreed to do it um, months ago when they contacted me. I went, oh yeah, of course. Oh. Sure. We, as actors, look for the fans. <laughs> it's you mostly get rejected. No, you mostly don't get opportunities to audition. And then you mostly get rejected. And then to be offered a role is rare and to be able to reprise it even more rare. So of course your first instinct is going to be to take it. Yeah. But I felt increasingly uncomfortable as I thought about it. And for me, it really, what, what kicked me off over the fence 
was uh, it was on Twitter, and a fan had posted a clip, and Chad was talking about to Ichigo about the source of his his power, and it was his pride and his heritage, because he had dark skin, um, and mestizo mixed Mexican or mystic mixed Hispanic blood, and his height. His height, okay, I'm relatively tall, but not that tall. But the other things were kind of like things that I am not. I'm like, okay. Maybe it's time because it's, it's been 10 years <laughs> so since we did the, the first iteration of it. Maybe it's time to have somebody with a little more ethnic authenticity represent the character. Uh, and that's what really kicked me over the fence um, for Chad. But I had come to this decision you know, a year or two ago as this kind of movement has progressed through our society. And even in casting, notices now include... You know, if it's an accent, they want an authentic accent. If it's a, if, the, if it matters to the character that if they're Asian American or, um, or Russian or whatever, they try to get, because they can get now actors who are, who are of that ethnicity and it, it lends a. They can get, I think that's an important point. I don't think, and in fact, this would be a, a, a good uh, question for Bo, uh, I don't remember there being uh, a lot of diversity in terms of the people that were actually auditioning for things when we started 20 odd years ago. I, I, is that the case, Bo, or is that just my memory? Yeah, that's, that was the case. That was the case. And there were very few, um, I'm not sure which term to use now, but very few people, a, a characters of color mm -hmm. that, were, that were drawn into the animation. The characters and, themselves, not just the actors. Right, the characters mm -hmm. themselves. And um, I, was, I was called in and I voiced uh, many characters that were not uh, characters of color. And, you know, it's an interesting uh, conundrum because uh, if, if I was, I voiced a number of, I guess you can say Caucasian characters or Japanese characters that were not uh, uh, people of color, um, if... If, if they stuck to that um, uh, standard, then I wouldn't have done any, I wouldn't have had any work. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, really, I, w I wouldn't have had yeah. any work. And, um, and so like Kevin Seymour, uh, he would call me in Utah. They would call me in to, to, to do, uh, to voice characters that were Caucasian characters. And I didn't think about it. Um, I just, you know, I just did it. It was a, it was a gig. I got paid very little money. <laughs> we still get paid very little money, but it was fun to do and it was enjoyable. And I, the people were enjoyable that I worked with, um, like at Magnitude 8. Um, so now, you know, cut to the present day, it makes sense that you would want an authentic actor, I use that term, uh, uh, to represent that, the character. And, um, uh, but now on the other side of the, the coin is that actors of color, voice actors of color, should we be allowed to voice char characters of other eth ethnicities, like Caucasian characters? You know, this, this, uh, brings, this brings us the, what people, what I've seen people comment on, on Twitter. Sorry to interrupt, but like that, yeah. that, that is the counterpoint argument that people say, well, the best actor should get the part 
the race shouldn't matter. The, the ethnicity shouldn't matter. I, I mean, for, for me, that's, that's sort of a silo mentality way of looking at it because then you're not taking into account opportunity or lack thereof uh, to audition or to even be represented in the way that the characters are drawn. Uh, let's all address that. <laughs> Everybody at once, because that, that's yeah. the countervailing <laughs> argument, right? Is it shouldn't matter right. at all to, the, you know, to right. the, the best person should get the role. But, you know, we all know not everybody has the opportunity to even audition in the first place. Right, right. And the, the other thing about that is uh, the, the um, paucity of characters of color over, over time. That who are, who are drawing these characters? that they decided not to draw characters of color. And so that, if you stick to the ethnicity uh, paradigm, there would be very few act voice actors of color working. But right. now, you know, now um, there are more characters of color drawn and there's, there's more work. And, you know, being, being an African-American, I tend to, to fall on the side of, uh, if there's an African-American character, it should be an African-American voice actor, uh, to voice fed character. But I do understand the logic of, you know, the best voice for the character. And, you know, you, you guys have probably been getting these auditions from your agent where it, it um, uh, when they say they don't want a slate, so they don't want your name on the slate so that your name won't carry any weight. For you getting booked, I think that's a. Re I'm, I I'm assuming that that's a reason for that, right? Yeah, or, or an end slate. I think that's a that's a indicative of progress, right? That that it right. should be it should be blind, but that that's in terms of the audition itself. That's assuming that there is equal opportunity to get those auditions in the first place. Well, right, right, and there's and there's equal opportunity of because there are. Uh, many characters of color drawn, you know, that, I mean, that's the thing when you get the project, you know, what color are these characters? Then, then that determines, you know, who's going to, who's going to audition. If you stick to that paradigm, that the ethnicity of the voice actor should match the ethnicity of the character. I mean, but, I, Jameson, you were going to say something. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's, for, no, it's not logical. And when people are taking logic and applying it to the illogical system that we have in America, whether it's in voice acting or whether it's systemic racism, logic doesn't apply. Um, so this, this kind of taking the logical extreme of that argument that, oh, no, we have to stick to our, our authentic ethnicity. For me, no, it is. I mean, and I said this in my statement, it's not just representation matters, it's access matters that I have had access to this huge wide variety of of characters of any color and there has been a lack of access for underrepresented groups of people african americans asian americans whatever i mean so so in many ways <laughs> it's 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 sharing access it's sharing opportunity it's you know i should not be auditioning for characters of underrepresented people's groups of people, but those 
African-American or Asian-American underrepresented people, groups of people, I think that they are able to audition because I do believe that, yes, the best voice should get their job and that anybody can voice anything that they fit that character. But it's kind of time for people who look like me, who have, and Ken Joshua, uh, who have unfortunately made it harder to get access for underrepresented people. It's time to let them play whatever. Stephanie, it's yeah, good. I was I was just gonna uh, bounce over to you because uh, you're on you're on the other side sometimes in in casting and production, and uh, yeah, I'm interested I, to hear your take. I think there's a lot of things. It, it's not just a one um, one aspect issue. Um, even when it comes down to access, um, and when we say who is best for the job, right? Um, so what does that mean? There's so many elements of it. If the character has some kind of history or a cultural history, and it doesn't even have to be very mired in, in very specifically, um, that ground, you know, like what I mean is like, let's say a character, like I'll, I'll use my own personal example because I think that's more effective that way. But like, let's say I'm playing a character and it's an Asian background, but like the content of the scenes are not always about being Chinese or being Asian, right? But there might be certain things like dynamics and relationships in the home, certain elements that's going to be a natural tendency as a human being and an actor that I, that I will make certain choices. And that's what we, that's what, when we talk about authenticity, that is, that is what we're talking about. It's not that like, oh, actors don't have imagination, right? But if I'm supposed to pretend like I'm Latina, right? And my only experience of that culture is just me watching whatever shows with mm -hmm. Latin characters on it. It's a very surface element to it. Ends up There's being a, a caricature. Right. That I'm not going to. And so. That's why, too, like there could be exceptions for like, let's say somebody maybe lived in another country that is not their ethnic background or adopted or whatever. So like when we talk about authenticity and the best for the role, like authenticity and best for the role is not mutually exclusive. You know what I mean? Oftentimes it actually encompasses that authenticity in what's best for the role. Um, the other thing about access, too, is that. It's really difficult too whenever we talk about race relations because there is overt racism and then there is like unintentional systematic racism or just that the way the system is set up. Case in point, right? We have lived in a society that has oftentimes rewarded white men, right? And there have been tons of studies where like-minded people tend to work with like and want and and form groups around like similar people now it doesn't mean that those people are overtly racist right it just means let's say if i grew up seeing a lot of certain type of faces and a certain type of culture i'm familiar with those types of people i get them it's easier for me to get them and accept them it's easier for me to hire more people like right and so then when we're creating a show if we're writing characters and we're drawing stuff, I'll, again, we don't want to be inauthentic. I'm not going to write a whole story about somebody from a totally cultural other background 
because it's probably not, it's going to be like a caricature again, right? So I'm going to write what I know. Those are the things that I'm passionate about. Then what happens is more roles for that type of character, right? So that- It becomes self-perpetuating. Yes, it gets Mm -hmm. self-perpetuating. So when Jameson talks about access, it's oftentimes I think people hear that and they think that there's like this white man gatekeeper. You know what I mean? And it's not always like that. It's just that the system has perpetuated- Comfort, it sounds like. Just just what's comfortable for people that have always had places of power in a, a system that is built to keep people out. Right. Uh, That said, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. There's totally racist people. There's totally sexist people at the top that are gatekeeping. But I'm not saying that that is, I'm saying that it manifests in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so. It's a complex issue. Yes. With many many causes and reasons. When we say the best person for the job, right? I'm going to just like pause it out there for all of you guys on here. And you think about yourself and your career as an actor and, and how you got better, right? Were you the best you were right when you, like, started going professionally? No. You got better as you got along. But did you get better mostly from going to classes and studying and stuff like that? You no, know, actually doing that. the work. Exactly. Yeah. And so now yeah. in this system where we're not giving access to people of a certain group, they have less opportunities to get better. They sure. have less opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's the same in education. Actors. It's the same in sports. It's the same in entertainment. Is there, right. there, was, there was this book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers where he talks about this in the very first chapter, how, if I'm recalling correctly, in Canada, it's just very common for the kids to play hockey from a, a young age. And so if everybody's playing hockey from a young age, how come... I don't remember the exact statistics, but like 80, 90% of the pros were born in January and February. It's because they, they would take them for teams and train them based on the year in which they were born. And so the kids that were born in January and February were, were physically bigger. They were more developed as people because they were older than the people that were born in, say, October, November, and December. And so they got opportunities mm-hmm. to play on better teams with better coaches. They got moved up in the in the rankings and they got to compete more often and in a, a better playing field earlier and they were more likely to become pro and they became outliers. What you're describing, Stephanie, is is the same dynamic where those of us that had the opportunity to play in the world of voiceovers and entertainment more often earlier got better simply by virtue of having that access and having those opportunities. And Jameson, I think what you have pointed out is that the access has to be there for everyone in order for everyone to have the chance to get good. You know, one thing that I experienced, I was cast early in my career because I didn't sound black. <clears throat> now, I have gotten uh, direction this, um, not so much recently, but in the past, of, could you sound more urban mm. um and, and that was code for yeah i can uh, yeah yeah baby i can sound more urban you know what i'm saying yeah i can do that and um uh, so apparently i was cast because i didn't sound black and so i was cast to to voice uh caucasian characters 
And uh, now I'm I'm feeling that, and I'm hoping that it's the case that there isn't a stereotypical black boy. That um, you know, there's there's not shouldn't be such a thing as a black voice, you know, a, a, a ethnic character that's black, because you know there there are black doctors, lawyers. I'm an attorney. I and I, I I grew up in Connecticut, and I spoke like everybody else in Connecticut. And my parents, if I said an, an improper word or I used improper syntax, my parents were all over me. Mm-hmm. And so early on in my voice career, I would occasionally get that direction. Could you sound more um, ethnic, urban, ethnic, ethnic, urban? You know, it's kind of like. They, were, they wanted they were a certain quality that you had taken great pains to eliminate through, right. through your right. education right. and upbringing as a lawyer. Yeah. Right. Right. And it didn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't, I'd work so much as that's the way I grew up and that's the way I, 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 I spoke and that's the way I speak. Now I can do, and I used to joke with my wife is I got to work on my black character. <laughs> mm-hmm. As a character you were creating. Yeah, I had to. Huh. I had to create to a, fulfill an expectation. That, exactly, you fill an expectation. Now, some of that, it's okay if it's because of the socioeconomic level of the character. You know, I mean, perhaps um, a character who is a security guard, nothing against security guards, who, who doesn't necessarily have a Harvard education, would sound differently from, um, a, you know, an attorney. Whether we well, that, white or that black, gets right? to the joy of being an actor, to be able to inhabit different characters from different backgrounds. And, and that's what I that's ultimately what I enjoy about acting, especially voice acting, because when, when I went out to Hollywood, I thought I'd be an on camera actor. But because of my height, which I'm, you know, I'm not like Jameson, <laughs> like I, I'm like a half your height. Uh, but I, I never got the opportunities to go out for the the heroic roles or the villains or any you know any of the any of the big roles, but the big personality came through in the voice, and I was able able to do that and and being able to inhabit different characters from different backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses and edu- educational uh, types and, and uh, this is this is where people get tripped up, I think, in this debate about what should a voice actor be allowed to do. Uh, because you can be anything, you know, I've, I've played a, a, you know, animals and, you know, as we, as we all have and you know, anthropomorphized vegetable or fruit or something, uh, but, but that's different. That's different than ultimately, uh, I, I, th- I think essentially denying, uh, people that do, do not look like me, uh, the opportunity to, to be in the game. An extreme example would be. I did a, in the 80s, I did a miniseries called North and South, and I portrayed an enslaved person. It was a Civil War epic, uh, starring uh, Buddy uh, Swayze, Patrick Swayze, we call him Buddy. And, um, and so if they were to do that as an animation, I think in that context, it would be pretty absurd to have uh, any person other than an African-American voicing that character of that enslaved person now that that's just maybe my prejudice but uh that would that would be to me that would be insulting and not right to have a caucasian actor uh voice an enslaved person and i'm I'm just throwing that out as an as an example and there are varying degrees of that that's Mm -hmm. pretty extreme but i think 
in line with what Stephanie was saying, if the character calls upon his ethnicity in, 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 like in his dialogue and, 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 and draws upon that, and it's, there's a focus, it certainly seems that a person of that ethnicity should voice that character of that ethnicity. But there are degrees of gray in that, so that if the ethnicity is really inconsequential except for the actual color, perhaps, you know, they can, they can go the other way. But I am with Jameson in terms of the access. We have not, overall, have not had, had access. I personally have had access, as I mentioned earlier. Kevin Seymour, Utaka, those guys uh, asked me to do stuff irrespective of the color of my skin. I think there is something um, to be said about what Bo has been talking about in terms of like Bo sounding white, you know, or quote unquote white. Bo sounds like Bo. Like he sounds also he sounds black because he is black and that's his voice. Right. Um, I was working on this project a while ago called What Does Black Sound Like? And then I end up having contacting a lot of black actors and I had them just say the phrase, this is what black sounds like. Right. And I got a lot of submissions. I ended it together. I ended up not releasing it because I just felt like the climate on social media and the discourse, I find the society has a hard time to have a real discourse. And I didn't want any of the actors involved to get any sort of clash mm. and for that the message to be un misunderstood. Where really my point, my purpose was to say like, listen, black doesn't have a sound. There are high pitch. The other thing that happens other than urban is they're all deep voiced. You know, you mean what gets cast is deep, deep voiced? Well, when there's a black character, they mm -hmm. they immediately try to cast a deeper voice for male and female. And I and I understand that, you know, in a general stereotypical sense that, you know, maybe certain African-Americans do have a bigger build in general, like overall, more majority of the whatever. I don't. So maybe that's what lends it to or maybe it's just what people saw and that's but for whatever reason society has equate certain things with black voices deep and urban you know or like when i say urban really it means like lower income you know and that may be because as a society we forced them to not be able to buy their own homes and to live in 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 groups you know but but whatever it is that that's not all encompassing and it ends up being self-fulfilling so what happens is the, the casting and, and, and people think like, oh, well, the, uh, the audiences are not maybe so educated, right? They have this, this stereotype view. And then casting feels like, oh, well, if I don't, if I, there's an expectation. If I don't put that type of voice, it's going to seem off to the audience, right? Yeah. And so he ends up perpetuating this idea that, that Black characters should sound deeper and urban, you know, or or I use mm -hmm. urban in, in the way that casting people use urban. And, and and so I think what ends up happening is that as an agent, they want somebody who sounds non-regional, right? But by non-regional, it is like right, because that is, you know, because they don't want they're they're not they want someone who's more versatile and gonna work for a lot of things. So if you came here and you had a really strong southern accent and you could not get rid of it. An agent's less likely to sign you up for certain things because you can only do that one thing. You can only mm -hmm. play that one character, right? As so, opposed to a so flat it, accent that could be put into right, exactly, pretty much almost right. Anything. And was it flat? Mm -hmm. 
And even when we say flat accent, we got to be careful because are we perpetuating this image of what the status quo is, which has been dictated by a certain group, privileged group, you know? I'm very lucky. I feel like, you know, like I don't, you know, I've, and I've had, there's the reality of the situation. And then there's like what we want the ideals to be. I have a very, like my diction is fairly non, like American, you know, like it, I don't sound necessarily now that I've been casting more and more and listening to more Asian Americans, there is, there can be a kind of Asian American accent affectation, which I never believed in before until I started listening to a lot more performers mm. and things like that. And I've had my agent tell me before in terms of me recommending, you know, other people or even uh, like look, listening to some people or even listening with other casting directors and other directors and stuff like that. And it's not about like saying, oh, this person is not good, but it's about diversifying yourself, right? If you have any sort of, if you have a list, right, that's going to limit you. If you can only do one kind of, if you can't do accents, it's going to limit you. If you have a sound that is not neutral, and it, then it, that sound becomes an identifying factor, because it will always be there in every role, you're not as versatile. That would and be I the case think... with anyone of, of any regionalism, not just ethnicities. Exactly, that's exactly. the reason to get voice yeah. training, by the way, which I'm a big proponent yeah. of. You know, the breath work, elocution diction, tongue twisters, you know, all these sorts of basic techniques that in the theater it's quite common to learn and that, I, you know, I, I would imagine we've all been through so that you can put on, remove, and alter those sorts of vocal nuances. I, I, one thing that I think, um, Bo, you brought up about the, how you said you would be offended if some a, 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 a non-Black person play, played an enslaved person, you know? And um, I think the other thing that struck me when you said that is the other part of the offense is that it is a story that has happened in a time where there was oppression, right? And if the per if the person in charge, the producers, right, um, stand to gain in the creation of the story, they're using someone else's pain and oppression as a story, as a product in a way. And then to not give that role to a person who has the the generational and the history that like the, who is, you know, the trauma that's been passed down from that culture to not give that person the opportunity to embody that role in a way you're kind of um, exploiting somebody else's. This is the word that came to my mind too, like perpetuating <laughs> yeah. the exploitation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great well, point. Well, let's let's sort of move toward the close on a positive note. Uh, are you able to point toward things that have changed and improved in recent years in this regard in the voiceover industry, and specifically what and and when did these changes occur? There are a, a number of <clears throat> black voice actors now. It's just it's cut to the chase as other people see black voice actors uh, that didn't exist when when I started. Because uh, they weren't born yet, Bo. Well, that's true. <laughs> Most of the world wasn't born when you started. <laughs> no, I was there. I was there with Adam and Eve. You know, I was there. I was right there with them. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it now that there there are more people who look like me, 
And uh, I think that it motivates people to say, yeah, I can do that. You know, when I got involved in the business, who I don't have no idea why I thought I could do this. I grew up in Connecticut. And when I was a kid, I, I, I used to like to watch those, the, the old movies, you know, the 30s and 40s movies. And I hardly ever saw a person of color. And when I did, they were a butler or somebody dancing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just decided I can do that. I don't know why. I didn't hardly ever see anybody who looked like me. What about Sidney Poitier? Or was that prior to that? That was, well, yeah, that he, he came a little later. I, you know, I was, I was born a long time ago. So, uh, you know, Sidney Poitier was not in my uh, purview when I was watching these movies. There was, there was nobody. And, um, and, you know, who knows? But it's nice now that people see people who look like them or hear, you know, they, and the voice actors have a visual presence now that we didn't have years ago. That's, because of that's for media. sure. Yeah, that's new. Yeah. And it get, and that and through that there is power, right? That we're able to have this conversation, and uh, you know, thousands, potentially tens of thousands of people will listen to this, watch this. Hopefully, it will spark a deeper conversation than the sort of uh, vitriol and and uh, shallow back and forth that occurs uh, on Twitter primarily. Oh my God! Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> how how about you, uh, Stephanie? Have you seen uh, any market improvement? in recent years in this Uh, area? I would definitely say that I think that it's a lot different. There's um, a lot more uh, to go, Um, but you'll see that now in, in auditions and casting and stuff like that, they, there is a, I think the productions are trying to make an effort for diversity and inclusion. And I think that's great. I think, that combined with the pandemic and letting remote recording be a thing that has also like increased access for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to live I in know, New York or LA anymore or Dallas. Yeah, You can exactly. do this from anywhere. And I know that for me personally, you know, after the BLM movement um, and also the, you know, Stop Asian Hate campaign, I definitely got a lot. I saw a lot more uh, Asian uh, content. And I think also because it comes from an earlier, uh, um, an earlier step in the creative process and seeing that productions are taking time to make sure that the cast and the characters are more diverse. Um, and I, I do also think it's a little bit, the characters are a little bit less token, you know, they're, they, they're digging a little bit deeper into the stories. Um, they're hiring writers and other people on the team who are developing it that are from different backgrounds. And I think that's a really, that's a really, really beautiful mm-hmm. thing. One little side note, going back to like, and we spent a lot of time talking about what black sounds like. I just want to kind of put in there what I'm seeing recently is that there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding in terms of what, what <laughs> the, the, I, on castings I see is a lot of like asking for a non-binary sound. And um, there's no sound to non-binary. It's not, there's no sound to non-binary. You can be a non-binary person and sound um, in what traditionally people feel is very masculine or very feminine. Non-binary is not a sound. And if, and I think what people, what casting needs to put on the side is androgynous sound. Because androgynous is a sound. And if that's Mm. what they want, then that's what they 
should be putting on the sides and not non-binary. Very interesting. Good James, point. I hadn't thought about that. Right. Jameson, since uh, you sort of kicked off this whole conversation by deciding not to portray your character on Bleach, I'd like to give you the opportunity to, to wrap the conversation up if there's anything that you'd like to say to expand on that position or to summarize your thoughts and feelings on it. Just the, the idea, I mean, that there are so many more actors of diversity in all different shades now, which is wonderful. And the internet has opened up remote recording and the popularity of, of anime and, you know, yes, dubbing actors are celebrated now. And 20 years ago, we weren't, uh, that that has really kind of moved us along as a society, which is, which is wonderful. Um, finding, you know, the discussions on Twitter have set me back a little bit with, wow, there's a lot of ugliness out there. Um, I'm just hoping we can get past that. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, it's not voiceover, but um, the Rings of Power, the new Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. series. Not on Amazon. Uh, and I love the Lord of the Rings series and read all the books and thought Peter Jackson did a great job. And I saw a lot of um, vitriol, but a lot of ugliness about the colorblind casting in that, which I thought was awful because that was beautiful. It didn't matter. The color had no matter. It was just actors. And that's where I hope we can get. And then as voice actors, we can, anybody can voice whatever character as long as they fit vocally. But that's, that's an aspiration to get to. We're, we're not well, there I, yet. I would hope we could get there as a society as well. That gets down to that concept of if you're going to judge someone, let it be on the content of one's character. Exactly. You know, not how you look, but who you are. Just a reminder, though, sometimes the, yeah. the, the people who are the loudest and saying the most nastiest things, they're... They're they're actually in the minority. I, I, like Twitter is very bad at amplify giving us a sense of what the balance is in, in true society and what how people feel. So I know it could be disheartening, and you know if you need to turn it off for your mental health, you need to turn it off for your mental health. But um, there, are, I know I just I know there are tons of people who don't feel negatively about this. You know, people who get it and people who are trying to do better. And, um, and honestly, like as society changes, we all learn. So it doesn't mean that like, you know, there's, I, I think there's no, um, I guess I was like, like, there's no like, um, judgment in my book, right? Um, race is so complicated and it, and it, and our views change. And I think we should be allowed to learn and maybe even say, Hey, that view that I had in the past, probably not so positive and that's okay doesn't make me a horrible person you know like open up the conversation to say like okay I didn't see it that way let me hear someone else's story and yeah. all grow from that you know I, I used mm -hmm. to I had a I lived very uh, uh not militant but I lived with my roommate was black and I adored her and she said a few things that I thought was pretty angry and militant and and it took me aback because she's a, a loving wonderful person and she saw said things that were kind of um, ag aggressive. 
Um, and I was sharing that with my brother and my brother was like, you think just because you're a minority, you understand her experience. And that was very eye-opening for me. Uh, I don't know her history. So who's to say, who's me, how, who am I to judge her for being angry? Because I didn't live in, I did not walk in her shoes. No. And so I think that that's just something to think about when we all, we all discuss these things with compassion and kindness, you know, and maybe we don't, maybe someone is not enlightened and they're saying things that are ignorant, right? But doesn't mean that we feel hate towards them as a human being, because we don't know. You, you, you expressing hate toward that person is not going to help them change their mind, you know? And we all want eventually a society where everyone is accepting. And that's why mm -hmm. I wanted to have all of you here for this more long form discussion, because, you know, hopefully there are more people that would like to learn and grow and evolve and, and do better than those that just want to hurl, uh, uh, hate and anger. And I, I've always ascribed to the philosophy that anger is just a mask for fear and that they're afraid of something, you know, the people that, uh, come down on the side of, uh, you know, not wanting Jameson to have uh, taken this position, you know, perhaps they're afraid that there'll be, uh, uh, less of a piece of the pie for them, you know, if that happens, but, but, you know, the, the opportunity is, is limitless. You know, we, now with technology, we can create our own formats and our own content. There are no gatekeepers anymore. We all have a voice through social media and we all have a television studio in our pockets. So if you don't like how something is being done, you can make it yourself. And I think that you guys are all very talented and I think you're just wonderful for uh, being open to having this conversation because we're willingly you know, walking into a bit of a hornet's nest here by, by addressing it. But if people aren't willing to, to have conversations and, and address difficult issues in, in an open way, uh, they'll never get resolved. So, so thank mm -hmm. you for, for doing that uh, and, and for sharing your, your insights and your wisdom and your experience with me and, and with the listeners today. And thank you, Joshua, for approaching this subject. It's, uh, I commend you for that. Thanks, Bo. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast and want to support it, the best way you can do that is to subscribe, give it a five-star rating and review, and share it with a friend.